Welcome back to Growth Colony. For those of you who are first-time listeners, you'll be hearing from B2B founders, CMOs, and marketing leaders. We chat about the newest and most effective tools and strategies in the B2B space. I'm Alex Hipwell with Xgrowth, and your co-host for this podcast, where we go candid with our guest successes and failures, so you don't make the same mistakes. At least, hopefully you don't. Let's dive in. Before we, uh, before I go on any further, Tim, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Good to chat about it. Absolute pleasure. Tim, for those of you, those people who might not know who you are or the company, who gives a crap, uh, can, you, uh, can you give us a quick intro? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're Who Gives a Crap. We make eco-friendly toilet paper and sell direct to consumers. And then we also donate 50% of our profits to building toilets and sanitation projects in developing countries. So currently 2.3 billion people in the world don't have access to a toilet. And where um, our mission is to ensure that ev- ensure everyone has access to sanitation by 2050. So we are we have a big lofty goal: selling toilet paper. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's dive in and let's talk about. Uh, give us a little bit of a background about yourself, Tim. Cool. Yeah. So I came from. Uh, I grew up in <clears throat> basically. I grew up in a national park. So I from a really young age loved the environment. And then as I went through my schooling and university, I got really into the idea that you could use business as a kind of a vehicle to help the environment and also help social issues. And then over my time, I kind of weaved my way and met Simon at, a, uh, at actually a TED talk uh, that he did when he was first, first launching the brand. And then kind of basically stayed in touch and eventually moved into Who Gives a Crap to, to help do the marketing. And so now I spend the majority of my day talking about toilet paper and trying to um, communicate to people the benefits of what we do. So basically we, we uh, yeah, for the most part, I, I do the marketing and we're, and we're growing who gives a crap as, as fast as possible to reach that, that goal, which I mentioned, which is make sure um, everyone has access to a toilet by, uh, by 2050. So it's, um, it's a big lofty goal and can sometimes feel really far ahead, but it's something which helps bring the team, including myself, together. And it's, it's, it's a good goal to work towards. No, and it's ama- amazing what you've, uh, what you and the team have done. I mean, you know, you reached 90 people in a fairly short period of time. And also, it's very awesome to have that big, hairy, audacious goal in the background as well. Cool. What I'd like to do, first of all, talk about toilet paper is, is now, you know, completely associated with Corona. Right. And what what we've seen, toilet paper papers being stacked up in people's trolleys and running out of coals and woolies. Can you tell us, give us a little bit of background, how in terms of timeline, how did that look like from a toilet paper manufacturer's perspective? Right. What did you see across the world? Because the other thing is you have multiple offices. You have operations in China, Australia, US, UK, so on and so forth. How did that look like from you and your team standing behind the wheels and looking at the world? Yeah, it's an interesting one. We have a couple of staff members in Hong Kong uh, and, and in China. And so we had a very first, I wouldn't say first-hand experience, but we were very much aware of our staff who were in China whilst Corona was first beginning to pop up on everyone's radar. When was this? 
Uh, this would have been probably early January, I would say, or when Corona first was coming coming to light. The days have all blended to, to one now, so I'm kind of losing track of like where time goes. But basically, it was early January. And so we were very much aware of the situation there and how people were, were even in China, were stocking toilet, toilet paper. They had very similar behaviours occurring there. And so we're really worried about the staff and making sure they were happy and being well catered for because they were in isolation well before we were. And so that was the first part. The second part was seeing this wave of toilet paper really taking off as a, an essential item that people were beginning to stockpile. And we didn't really think it would get to international level as it has eventually. We were very much aware of that was happening. And then once we saw the, the issues around the cruise ships where people were beginning to take the coronavirus outside of China or it was beginning to appear outside of China, we then realized that the potential for uh, the, the stockpiling to happen in other countries was very much a real possibility. So we were keeping an eye on it, especially in Australia. We saw the spike happen sooner rather than other countries. So we saw it uh, would have been the 2nd or 3rd of March, I think it was. We basically saw an uptick in sales one afternoon. And then the next day, we saw 10x sales out of nowhere. And that's when the, the stockpiling really began. And then it was it was interesting because USA was still quite calm in their sales. So we have we have a, a, an online store in USA and then also UK. And it wasn't until about a week later that USA had the same spike um, with stockpiling. And then even then, UK was still pretty pretty mellow. But then it wasn't until about four or five days later, UK had a similar situation. So basically, from the beginning of March in Australia, we were able to basically. Well, actually, even in China, seeing the situation occur, but in terms of actual sales, we uh, we saw the situation kind of build from Australia and then kind of go from each country around the world and, and they had a very similar, uh, the spikes in terms of stockpiling and, and, and new customers. Interesting, interesting. Why do you think, of all things, toilet paper? Yeah, I mean, it kind of comes back to economics 101 in a way, which is when there's an economic downturn, there's a lot more fear in the market and in the community. And so what happens is a big part of the result of that is people go into basically fear of missing out mode. Stockpiling all of the essential items. So you'll see things like hygiene, laundry detergent, and those sort of products will always go up in sales in a situation where there's a lot of fear. And so what happened was is basically when people began to stop, stop panic buy toilet paper, as a human behavior point of view, it comes back to basically the FOMO, like the fear of missing out mentality. So what happens is people don't actually rationally look at what they need to buy. They actually go, someone else is buying extra toilet paper. I don't want to be the last one who misses out, so I'm just going to buy it anyway. So it's not actually a logical thing of saying, oh, I'll get some in two weeks' time. It's more a thing of you see your neighbor getting extra toilet paper or you see the person next to you in the aisle getting extra toilet paper and you don't want to miss out, so you take more. And then the, to compound that issue is that because toilet paper is such a big bulky product, it only takes like two or three packs off a shelf or four or five packs off a shelf to see a big kind of gap in that shelf space, which makes you feel like there's less and less there. So you then go even harder and go even more toilet paper to get from the, from the, from the store. So it's a real compounding effect. So we saw, we definitely saw an increase in new customers purely based on the fact that they'd gone to the store, there wasn't anything physically in a store, and then they'd gone online and searched toilet paper and then found our online toilet paper website. So it's kind of like one of those things where people were like just ran to the store to get as much as they could and then were like scrambling to find places that ever else. So it really comes back to that. that basically, it's a, a, a base level of, of anxiety and fear and fear of missing out. Interesting. And when, when was it exactly? So you said the 2nd or 3rd of March here in, here in Australia. 
was there was there an event that was associated with that? You talked about the cruise ship. Was was there something from a you know from a from people seeing something and then they're like toilet paper that that you kind of were able to like associate it to? Yeah, it was a real it was a real increase in the media. It, it went from the Corona story went from being outside of our periphery, like away from us, and it was the first time it became internally to Australia. And so I think for a lot of people, they were seeing the situation in China occur and on on social media and on mainstream media. And then that was kind of outside of our space, like it didn't feel as real. But when it became realistic, as you said, with the with the cruise ships and Australian members on cruise ships, and then when it, when the story began to release that Australia, it was it was pretty much imminent. The corona was going to reach to Australian shorelines and become um, spread around the country. That's when the momentum really kicked up. And basically, coming back to that fear of missing out, behavior mentality of humans, it wasn't logical. It was more a thing of I should go out and buy pasta, cans of beans, um, toilet paper, and and alcohol, and then go home. And then that's that, like I'm prepared for the apocalypse. But the problem is a lot of people don't understand the buying cycle, the 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 production and manufacturing cycles of products. So they don't know that there's going to be another batch in a week or another two weeks. They're just basically thinking one day ahead and being like, I have to prepare for now because I might not be able to come back in a week's time. But as we've seen, like, that's not the case. Like, we've still been able to go to the supermarkets. Yes, you shouldn't hang around in parks and bars and do other things, but you can still send someone out to a supermarket to get groceries. So it's just kind of a lack of understanding of the situation where it was going to end up. But in the panic and like the fear of missing out, people just wanted to, to get as much as they could. So the original like prognosis from that point was a real the, the story of it being outside of our circle of Australia and actually coming into Australia. Interesting. And did you see any differences or were there um, discrepancies among Australia, US and, and UK? Yeah, we. it's interesting. I mean... People in the UK definitely seem to be the chillest of all of, of all people in the world. They were like, "No, we got this. We're fine." Like they, it took them a really long time to to jump into panic buying mode. So I, I didn't really follow. I, I didn't see the UK media as much before before that occurred. We were, we were kind of it was quite busy. I wasn't able to keep track of that. But it definitely felt like the media stories in in UK weren't as intense. So that really meant that the the panic buying behavior wasn't as wasn't fueled as hard as it was in Australia and the US. But um, you really can track basically like the first stories of whenever Corona began to reach the countries where it, like Australia, UK, and USA. That's when the panic buying really occurred. It's basically like when we think that it's it's not it, it doesn't affect us or it's not in our backyard. People were very very relaxed. It wasn't until it came into our periphery that it, it really took off. Gotcha, gotcha. Are you seeing it? How is the situation now? Like, what are you seeing uh, in terms of uh, is the hysteria still there? Is it, um, you know, what are you seeing in terms of your numbers uh, and your sales right now versus, well, there, I, I would say three phases, right? Before Corona, during Corona, you, you talked about 10Xing sales. Uh, and then now, it's, it's one of those things where we really, I mean, the result of the, the panic buying has obviously been a positive for our numbers as a business, but we're definitely not celebrating it. Like for us, it's a learning curve, but we've really taken the stance of doing the best that we can to make sure people stay calm and don't panic buy because it's the people who are 
less advantaged in in our community who end up missing out on on fundamental groceries and needs. So we really have taken a stance the whole time to make sure that people don't kind of fall into this this buying pattern behaviour. But in terms of the way that we've approached that we've seen it occur in the company pre, middle, and well, I guess we haven't gone post Corona, but in the middle, we've really seen an up to like an uprise in new customers that we that we wouldn't have reached otherwise. So we've got a, basically a waiting list on our website. We've kept subscriber customers like the, the stock for subscriber customers available, so they're they're serviced. But the amount of the up, like the upright the uptick in in new customers that are coming to the site daily. Is fascinating. So we our our general site traffic has gone has increased in like by a significant amount of a uh, percentage, and that has stayed. Like I was expecting to see a huge spike in sale, like the the Corona spike in sales, and then once we sold out and told people to sold out, they would drop off again. But we've basically seen a continuation of of an increase in traffic. So even though I, the, the hysteria around panic buying has probably mellowed in the stores because companies are actually putting measures in place. So, you know, you've got the supermarket saying you can only buy, you know, certain numbers of products and that's it. That's really helped. But online, you can still see the traffic is very much searching with toilet paper. Like our, even though we're sold out, we're still getting a, a tremendous amount of traffic to the website. I think there's a real... Uh, there's a real hunger for it, for lack of a better word, for toilet paper. And what we're trying to do as best as we can is is minimize that panic FOMO feeling, especially once the world replenishes the toilet paper stock. So I think we'll see in the next month or so um, toilet paper becoming much more readily available in the market. It will just depend on how businesses go about selling it. So for us, we're not going to open up shop and say, hey, here's, it's an open old frenzy, come get it. We're going to really do our best to make sure that the people who need it, so whether it's low-income earners, earners, the elderly, et cetera, they get it first and then they kind of eventually we filter out to everyone else. If you let the floodgates open, I think we'll probably see a second round of what the panic buying saw in the first one. What do you mean we'll see a second round? I think like if we, for example, if we didn't, if the supermarkets didn't, if, if it was a free-for-all, so if the supermarkets didn't prevent people from buying more than one box, one roll of toilet paper, what you would see is each time the supermarkets get stocked, you would have a, a, another round of people coming in and over-purchasing and panic buying and not leaving stock for everyone else to come through and purchase. So even things like I went to the supermarket the other day, you can't buy more than three frozen goods at one time. Mm. So that's to really limit people from like panic buying and overstocking on, on frozen goods. And the same thing with toilet paper. If, if the supermarkets allowed people to come in and buy five packs of toilet paper, we'd see the exact same situation occur, which is people would feel like they're missing out. They would overbuy, overstock, and then you'd have the same issue come. So we're doing a similar thing, which is we're not allowing people to come to the, like we're slowly inviting people back into the store to purchase products, but it's only one box at a time. You can't buy multiple boxes for your house if if it's not necessary. So we're really trying to take a similar approach, which is as companies restock toilet paper and other products, but in this circumstance, toilet paper, you want to make sure that you can create an an inventory, which allows for, for a growing base, but also you're not, you're not, fueling that panic buying behavior so you want to make sure people only getting one box at a time to make sure that yeah you're not you're not adding to that panic buying purchase behavior gotcha gotcha that's uh, that's interesting coming out of this and well not out of it but being in this environment now how and you've touched on this to a certain degree but how has your strategy as a company changed when it comes to your marketing 
and the way you're approaching the market. I mean, I understand that now you're putting restrictions in terms of how many how many people can buy, but what are the channels? Are you promoting yourself on, you, you're doing more SEO or are you doing more paid? Or you, have you stopped doing everything? What is What is going on in terms of your strategy? Maybe what was it before and then what is it now with everything going around with Corona? Our goal is to basically convert people from virgin toilet paper to recycled or bamboo. So what that means is virgin toilet paper is cutting down a tree, mushing it up, and then repurposing it into toilet paper. The problem is that that cuts down trees and obviously has a really big impact on the environment. Whereas if you can turn textbooks and office paper into toilet paper, that's a much better use of our, our resources. So our main aim is to basically bring new people in to the business to, to, to turn them into recycled toilet paper users or bamboo toilet paper users. So a lot of our marketing strategy is about pulling people into the business and, and telling them a story which encourages them to make the switch if they haven't already made the switch. If they already do use recycled, it's still about telling that brand story, but it's a bit easier to get them on, on board. So a lot of our marketing strategy was about advertising, paid advertising. So that's Facebook ads, Google ads, billboards, radio, all the usual suspects in that regard. As as we as Corona occurred and 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 the panic buying happened, we sold out globally. So we sold out in Australia, UK, and USA for new customers. And I should I should clear that up for new customers. We still have our subscriber base catered for, but basically we sold out. So we had to mark the the store sold out and stop and stop all marketing efforts in that paid advertising space. So we turned off Facebook ads, turned off Google ads, all those all those things. We, we then shifted our approach to more of a communication, a real kind of really leaning heavily on the communication piece to our current customers, but also new customers. So that was really around how can we as a toilet paper company change the conversation from being panic buying and stock, stockpiling to one of let's try and calm the community a little bit and say, it's okay, you'll get your toilet paper, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come but just relax in the time time being and help tell that in a friendly, fun, nice way as opposed to kind of just, it's not like kind of slapping someone's hand saying, don't do this, you're wrong. Do it in a really friendly, nice way. So we've shifted from paid advertising and put much more of our resources into things like organic social media. So Facebook posts, um, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, like on the organic side, lots of really fun, playful content to make people feel good in a time which is quite stressful for, for people. And then leaned really heavily into our email. So all those new customers who have signed up to a wait list, we're con- continually communicating to them to be like, hey, this is where we're at. This is what you can expect. This is when we're going to come back online, as well as giving them some soft, fun, playful things in the meantime to make them feel good and calm and relaxed and, and hopefully give them a positive feel in what is kind of, which is what a, in, a, in a kind of stressful climate they were in. And then also leaning more into the PR side of things is probably the third third element to that so joining into the toilet paper conversation both on television on radio etc so our ceo simon has done been doing a lot of radio and tv interviews to basically communicate the same message which is like this is a really strange time that we live in and whilst as a toilet paper company we've done you know it's helped increase sales we really want to make sure that we can alter the behavior of, of the community so we go to a much calmer wave of, of buying. So to answer your question, it's kind of a long way around. We've basically gone from quite a hard traditional advertising route to now more of a soft communication, make sure people are feeling um, heard there. We're communicating to them as much as possible and they feel, hopefully we can change the conversation from panic and fear to one of something which is a little bit more calm, give them a little bit of spark of enjoyment in the day and hopefully make them laugh in the, in the, in the time being. So 
it's been a real shift as a business, but it's been a, a good learning and it's, it's actually the, the feedback we're getting from our customers and potential customers on our wait list has been really positive. That's very interesting. A lot of people I would, I would, I would imagine would think that, you know, a company that is having such a surge in demand would increase um, spend on marketing and, and acquisition and people who are not getting a surge will reduce and cut their costs. But uh, it's very interesting to see, you know, even from your standpoint, you've reduced some of the, uh, some of the marketing costs and obviously increased in some of the other areas. But um, that's, that's really fascinating. We are seeing the next waves of panic buying similar psychology, kind of acknowledging the fact that there's, there's another phase coming in and and the question is whether we would follow the same the same logic. Yeah, I think humans are weird and wonderful creatures. We're great on some levels, but they're also very illogical and silly on another level. And I love and you know it's 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 both positive and negative. But I think that we're in unprecedented times, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and that creates anxiety and fear for a lot of people. And when you have, if you are on social media a lot or if you're looking at a lot of mainstream media your emotions are also very much triggered by outside sources as well which can often really create a, a i don't want to say frenzy but can bring a, a, elevate your emotional state quite quickly and so i think that we'll still see like humans are humans they're going to probably continue to act in a certain way and if we could potentially see extra panic buying but i would say that the positive is that we're seeing supermarkets limit people to certain level certain numbers of of products to buy at a certain time. I think we've learned from the first round. So I think that the chance of panic buying will be mitigated or slowed down by the, um, the, the, the businesses who are, or the retailers who are selling product. And so I think there's always going to be some businesses who are going to try and take advantage of it. But I think for the most part, we're doing a really good job as a community to make sure that we're limiting that process and making sure that everyone gets a good share of, of the products which are available. So I think we might see a little bit of it. I, I, I mean, humans are humans, but I think across the business sector, it's going to be mitigated a lot better than what we did the first round. Yeah, I think, you know, even if it, if it happens on a, on, a, on a level that we didn't anticipate, I think it, it probably is going to follow the same pattern. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a book that I, um, I picked up, I had it over here and I picked it up. I think we maybe briefly talked about this before. The, the title of the book is, is The Madness of the Crowds. And it was written in 1840s or 50s or something like that, where the author analyzed all the, all the panic buying and the hysteria that, that happened in the past, you know, in France, the, the Mississippi um, bonds, uh, and in England, and in, you know, Holland with the, with, the, uh, with the tulips and everything, you know, and how the masses drove this, this, um, this mania. And the, the argument is sometimes you see a massive, massive spike in a short period of time, but there are also sometimes that you see this, this spike over a long period of time, whether it was GFC, um, where, um, where there were loans being given out because, Hey, it's working there. We got to do it as well versus here. And I think, you know, this, this whole toilet paper and, and, in this, process of buying so quickly is going to be an interesting case study that we're going to see popping up in the next year or two of people talking about the, the, the crowd going crazy. Yeah, I'm really, I'm, um, I'm fascinated to see there is so much potential for a bunch of PhDs and master theses and, and white papers on this. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what comes out, like I said, in the next uh, couple of years when people double down on it to, to 
put some real in-depth psychology into it because, yeah, as you said, humans are humans and we tend to repeat ourselves. But um, it'll be interesting to see, like, yeah, the, the more detailed information that comes out of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we've got another question from Alex. How will you determine and validate these vulnerable people to get priority for your product? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's one that, simply put, we we can't do this as well as we would love to be able to do it. We would love to be able to say, hey, let's find all the people who are in need and get to those people as, as quick as possible. We're doing things like, like we can track people who have made certain orders in certain time periods. So, for example, if you've made an order in the last two to three weeks, we will say, no, you need to go. We basically have like a wait in line process. So we can track people who have made certain orders at which times and people who haven't had an order for quite a while, we'll make sure that they're bumped up the line first because they, they obviously in need. In terms of really specifying exactly who the, who the target is, so whether it's, you know, an elderly or someone with a low income earner, we're still trying to figure that out. We're doing some level of of, of one-to-one communication with our customers and doing nominations and also finding out how we can get in contact with with groups that actually um, entertain those needs. Um, but we're doing things like we've done some donations to we've given donations to a bunch of organisations to uh, basically attain to those certain people. So, for example, we have um, there's like a home there's like kind of like a, a, a Meals on Wheels service in in Australia called Home Care Delivery, for example. They're helping deliver toilet paper to people in need. There's things like organisations in Victoria and Australia wide who help deliver to those people. So we've done our best to give them product to, to get that to people. But in terms of the actual sales within our business, we're still trying to figure out the best way to do that. So we've got that that line process of making sure that people who have ordered recently are kind of pushed a little bit, aren't kind of bumped up the, up the rank too soon. But yeah, we're still in the process of trying to figure out the best way to do that. So yeah. Yeah. I think we're all all in that process. Yeah. Figure out. <laughs> What is going on? Yeah. I had to adopt to it. Did you change your marketing focus since the COVID-19 spike? Example, shifting budget from one channel to uh, to other or pausing any paid channels because organic traffic was coming through. Anyway, I think we've kind of answered that question where you said your, your focus is now more on organic channels, Facebook, organic posts, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and also focusing on, 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 on PR. And, uh, and lastly, that communication, upping that uh, communication element uh, of the organization. Is there anything else that you'd like to add to that? Yeah, it's, it's a really great question. So we've, we've kind of also shifted, I suppose you could call it PR, but it's, it, it's not the intention, but we've really shifted towards trying to find channels as a means of finding people. So coming back to your pre- previous question before, which is how do we, get toilet paper to those in need we've been using things like radio collaborations so we'll work with um, certain commercial radio stations uh, in melbourne and around australia to find people in need so we did a collaboration with triple m and and fox the other day with on on hughes's channel we're basically there reaching out to their listeners and saying hey nominate someone who needs toilet paper and how can you and and who needs it now and so basically what happened was is we eventually found a group there where there was a woman who was donating she was doing grocery shopping for elderly in a country town in victoria and so basically we were able to donate toilet paper along with some other companies donating their own goods to get it to her so she could then distribute it to the elderly people in her community so that's kind of more we're trying to use media as a way to find people and communicate not necessarily push our brand 
So we're, we've got a, a large waiting list, so we, we don't necessarily need to kind of extend that further. I mean, it's, it's always a, an added bonus, but it's been more of an interesting shift as opposed to where we would have gone to a radio station to advertise, to push a product, to, to communicate a product, to get them into the business. We're actually using it as a second, basically, to reach people, to find them to those, to those people in need. But to come back into the kind of the actual original question around marketing, yeah, I kind of summed it up early, which is basically we've gone from paid media to more of the the, the communication side of, of marketing, like PR and social media. Interesting. The other question that I wanted to ask you is is do you think there will be a like a mini correction in the toilet paper industry, right? So on a on a larger scale, when something happens and something goes wrong and there is a there's a surge in something, let's say it's stocks, let's say you know people start buying stocks, the stock market goes goes through the roof. There is a correction, right? Correction being defined by different different people differently, but you know, one definition is there's a there's a there's a drop of of um, anywhere from from zero to twenty percent in the demand for it, and, and if, if it's more than that, it's called a called a uh, called a downturn or a recession, or whatever you want to call it. But do you think, and, and I think this is kind of related to Susie's question as well. Do you think in the long term it's going to be a correction in the toilet paper industry if somebody if there are a lot of people who've gone out and purchased you know a year long worth of toilet papers is that something that you're worried about or or not really that's not a concern no i, I don't i don't think it's a i don't think it's a huge worry so the reason why i'm taking a bit of time to answer that is i'm there's kind of a few different angles i'm thinking of so one is I think we're going to see what and I think I know um, we're going to see a lot of people jump into, into, the, into the space to take advantage of the toilet paper game. So we've seen a, a quite a large number of new newcomers into the market globally to, to take advantage of, of um, the, the new demand for toilet paper. So I think what we'll see is we'll see a real increase in the market share, like we'll see an increase in, in new businesses entering different industries. And then we'll also see them fall away as that demand dies, kind of goes away on the other end. So that will be a really interesting thing to see. But in terms of the crux of the question around the downturn of demand, I think we will, for example, see that people will get, you know, instead of buying 10 or 15 rolls, they would have bought 200 rolls. And then, you know, the repurchase rate on that will definitely decrease as a subscription, as a part of our business is a is a subscription element and so anyone who's in e-commerce subscription would will know churn and so churn is a really big can really can make or break your business and so for us will be it'll be really interesting interesting to see what the cohorts who have been purchasing in the last month for example how they churn in the next three to six months i think We'll still, I think we'll still see now, like we've had this huge, we've had this huge panic buying for let's say the last month globally in supermarkets and online stores. So I think that will, that will, you'll see like a lower repurchase rate from there. But I still think that with the way that the, the supermarkets are reducing how much you can buy and then also how online stores are reducing how much you can buy, I think we'll see like a bit of a potential slowing down of repurchase rate, but because you're we're, because we're deciding how many rolls you can buy, I think that will that will limit the potential drop off um, as a result of downtime because you'll still have people who need toilet paper in a month or or the second month or the third month as opposed to being this like six month um, mm. quiet patch. But I think it will be interesting. Like I mean, I remember my um I was only thinking about it a few weeks ago. I remember my my grandma. She was in the she was in the the great she was in the, the Great Depression when it occurred. And I remember her telling me stories where people were using newspapers as toilet paper. 
And, and I, I, you know, I'm curious as to whether that stuff, you know, that lasts in your mind. It's like whether we turn into a society for the next 10 years of people who are just prepared for an outbreak and maybe that becomes like a, because in a recent memory, that's like what happens with, with people. Who knows? I mean, I, I don't know where that's going to run, but there is an element there is a, there's definitely in the back of my mind I'm thinking about what that repurchase rate will look like and how it will affect the business from a cash flow perspective. But right now it's more about um, kind of getting people, people to people who need it and then we'll worry about that as the time comes in. And that's an interesting topic that you bring up. As you're going through this, what are the other metrics and KPIs that you keep in a close track of? So, you know, you <laughs> talked about churn, talked about repur- repurchase. What are some of the numbers that you're keeping a very close eye on uh, as you go through this process? Yeah, so there's there's a few metrics. The one, the, the big one that really comes to my mind first is is the amount of tickets um, answered per tickets coming in. So customer service is a really big part of our business. We, we want to make sure that we're listening to people and communicating with them as much as they need. Um, and if, they, if anything, over-communicate more than under-communicate. Like that's basically mm-hmm. the rule. So... That a really big metric for us is how many tickets we're answering, and by in in a not necessarily in a certain timeline because you can that can be gamed. People can just answer tickets as fast as possible, and they're terrible tickets. For example, you'll see some businesses have that that number. But basically, what's our what's our the feedback on our tickets from customers, and how and are we getting to them as quick as possible is a really big one, especially in a time when people are feeling anxious. Another big one is looking at uh, the churn. Um, as we mentioned, that's a really big one to understand where that's that's going to happen. We can't really see that for another month or two because we sell 48 rolls per box and it does take time for people to get to the end of that cycle to then make a second purchase. The cohorts purchasing, another really big one is looking at where our traffic is coming from. And then as we begin to, the really big, big metric for us right now is as we begin to slowly invite people to make a purchase from our wait list is understanding how many of those people actually make a purchase so for every x number of emails we send out to invite them into the store how many actually make a purchase so i'm really intrigued to see over the next few weeks that of the amount of people on our wait list how much are actually truly want to be part of the who gives a crap brand and how much of them were, were just signing up to every potential toilet paper provider there was and putting an email down or just trying to find any avenue they could so for me like to come back to your kind of original question is the, the customer service tickets, how are we doing? That's like a really big, important thing for us. And the second one is looking at what that purchase rate from, from the new customer wait list will be. I'm really intrigued to see how that goes. A lot of the metrics that I would focus on normally, things like return on advertising spend or CAC, like customer acquisition costs and those sort of paid media or paid advertising metrics have kind of gone out the window as, it, as, a, as, a, as, as we've turned those down. So the bonus for me is I don't have to do as much reporting. So that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Less reports on Monday mornings. All right. Uh, I love it. Who comes up with, uh, with, this, with this idea or these ideas? Is it you? And if so, can you talk a bit about the process behind it? It's a team collaboration. It's definitely, I cannot take credit for that. I just rock up to work and do a few emails, then go home and pretend I've, pretend, pretend I've done something. Basically, we have a, a creative team internally to Who Gives a Crap. So we made a decision uh, quite a long time ago that we really wanted to build out the internal skills of our business. And so we have a creative team internally. So we have copywriter, designer, like, and there's a couple of each, but basically copywriter, designer, a videographer, and, and kind of like brand strategy. 
And so what we'll do is we basically will, I should also preface this, is that we actually work remotely. So we're a, a remote business. So a lot of the creative team is, we have creative team basically spread around the world. And so we do a lot of this all via Zoom. So what we'll do is we'll say, okay, we've got a, a channel or a campaign or an idea that we want to run with. How can we, what's this going to be about? And so basically we'll brief, we'll create a brief with the marketing team. And then basically have a have a brainstorm with the creative team and the marketing team and make sure everyone's on the board and we kind of throw some ideas around. Everyone will go away and then um, a pitch will be provided, which will basically be like the top four ideas that we think are going to be good. And then we basically do a, a kind of a poll in the, internally in the company, decide which direction makes sense, and then we run with that and then the creative team produce it. So we're very much like very creative heavy, heavy, heavy in the sense that we really believe that good copy, good imagery and good storytelling are really important to a brand. We lean heavily into that. And so to answer your question, it, it's kind of a mix of combining hard data, hard science with lots of really great creative, mix them together in a, in a, in a pot and then makes a t- tasty marketing cake, basically a, a creative cake. So that's the way we think about it. It's a lot of hands on deck to do it, but it tends to give the best results. The creative cake. Sounds like a good title for a book. Um, all right, no, thanks so much. It's, and it's so that's so important, you know. It's very hard to uh, to come up with creative campaigns. I think a lot of companies, you know, especially in our space, the B two B space, everybody sounds the same. You know, everybody looks the same. Everybody sounds the same. If you take a uh, a company's uh, name from their website and put another company in, can't tell the difference. Um, you know, that's that's a big challenge for a lot of brands. The, the ones that do it well are the ones who have made the decision early on about who they are as a brand and who they want to be and how they want to portray themselves to the world. You can get, really, you can get quite complicated and deep and, and get quite granular about how you do it, but the way I think about it is how, if you were a person, how would you want to be in the world? And basically, you just design your brand about, around the favorite person you, you want to be. So for us, we decided we want to make buying toilet paper a fun pleasurable and delightful experience whether you actually buy toilet paper or don't buy toilet paper from us but any interaction you have with us whether it's recruiting whether it's a invoice you get from us whether it's a social media post or whether it's an email that you get from an add to cart that you didn't make a purchase we want you to feel delighted and happy and fun about an experience rather than feeling like it's a typical company trying to take your money and because we're dealing with a topic which is can be a little bit unnerving for some people, both both on the toilet front, but then also on the the issue that people are uh, you know are actually dying because of the results of sanitation, we deliberately made a choice that we didn't want to go down a make you feel guilty charity typical route that you see from all the charity angles, and we wanted you to actually feel really good and happy and joyful about what you're doing. Because if you make someone feel good, like when you tell someone that compliments someone down the street or at a at a bar or like you tell someone they're great, they want to spend more time around you and they want to do, they want to be around you more. And so the best way to do that with a customer is to be that person. So the more you can make someone feel good about who they are, the more they're going to want to hang around with you. And then you feel good as well. So smiles all around. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love it. Look, um, this has been great. And I, I very much enjoyed our, uh, our conversation and, uh, and, and thank you so much for, for your time. Now, look, if, People want to get in touch with you or they want to know more. What is the best way? Is there a way for them to get through the, uh, the waiting list, uh, get on the top of the waiting list? Uh, <laughs> what, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you and, and hear more about? Uh, um, 
I'll be taking bribes. So if anyone has a, a spare 200K, I'll just slide that on the table. No. Um, yeah, so I can actually see like, Kim, I can see a question from you. So if you want to hit me up on LinkedIn, Twitter, I use a lot of. I, I don't spend a whole lot of time on, on social. I try to keep, as in the Instagram, Facebook side, I try to keep that to a, to a minimum. But if you want to reach out to me on, on Twitter, happy to answer any questions and or, or, or LinkedIn. So I think the guys have my details. If not, just stalk me th- through LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. Sounds good. What's, what's your uh, Twitter handle for if, if people wanted to uh, hit you up? My Twitter handle is Tim. It's Tim H. Baxter. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> All right, Tim. Thank you so much for, uh, for again, joining today. Really enjoyed this conversation and looking forward to more. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. And everybody else, thanks a lot for jumping on. And uh, until next time, we'll see you around. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or your platform of choice. And for more B2B growth content, check out our website, growthcolony.org. Looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Have a great day.